Hey everyone, the 2018 legislative session is here and there is a lot of stuff going on. We're in, still in the middle of the second extraordinary special session from 2017. Governor Fallon gives her State of the State address on February 5th, and the 2018 regular session starts that same day. Several state agencies don't have enough money to complete the fiscal year, our shortage of teachers is becoming a crisis, and the legislature seems as far from a solution now as they were a year ago. But there is some good news. Let's Fix This has a ton of ways that you can get involved and make your voice heard this year. We'd love to see you at any of our upcoming Capitol Days, where we can help connect you with your representatives so that you can let them know your thoughts on the most important issues that are facing you and your family. For the 2018 regular session, our Capitol Days will be held on February 22nd, March 28th, April 26th, and May 9th. We'll also be podcasting from the Capitol on February 5th for the State of the State Address, and we'd love to see you there as well. It's the perfect time to hear the governor lay out her vision for Oklahoma in 2018. We'll definitely have more events put on the calendar this spring, including trainings, forums, and definitely a capital crawl or two. Make sure to listen every week so you know what's going on and check us out online at letsfixthisok.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Let's Fix This OK. Remember, decisions are made by those who show up, so we hope to see you there. Hey everyone, and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore, and I'm joined, as always, by Scott Melson. Hello, Scott. What's up, dude? Nothing, man. What's up with you? Man, uh, flu season is here. Flu season is in full effect. Everyone has it. Everybody. I don't have it. Do you have it? Well, I've literally been sneezed on by patients with flu since 7.30 this morning and every other morning this week. We'll see how it goes. You stay behind that pop screen over there. That's what the pop screen's for. My sister and her family have had it. My parents both have it. I think that my kids and I may just do a camp out this weekend to avoid people. You can also take Tamiflu prophylactically. Interesting. All right. So today in this episode, we're going to hit uh, just a few topics. We're going to touch on the Oklahoma City mayoral race candidates because we mentioned it last week and we wanted to give you the information we didn't have then. We're also going to touch on the Step Up Oklahoma Coalition Um, that we mentioned last week. It's a group of business owners that have proposed uh, some plans. We're going to give an update on that because that really has been, I think, the story of the week in Oklahoma politics. Absolutely. And then we'll wrap up uh, at the end by discussing some of the the voting numbers. So the voting registration numbers for 2018 were just released yesterday. And uh, a few of our friends and colleagues were throwing around numbers online uh, last night on Facebook. It was really interesting. So we'll come back to that. So Scott, Last week, we were discussing the Oklahoma City mayoral race, I think kind of in passing, yeah. and I said it was State Senator David Holt and two other people, Right, <laughs> their names escaped me. Yeah. Who are those people? Yeah, so there's there's two other people uh, aside from Senator Holt. So uh, there is uh, a man named Randall Smith. Uh, he lives in South Oklahoma City. He actually filed within the last week, no, within the last month or so, uh, to run for the mayoral race. Um, he's a Democrat. That is about all we know about him. He doesn't have a campaign website. He's not actively campaigning or raising money, is my understanding. Right. He is simply running and hoping to garner votes. Right. And again, the mayoral race in Oklahoma City and Tulsa is a nonpartisan race. Yes. But we know that Senator Holt is Republican because he's run as a Republican. Right. And I think based on 
Mr. Smith's previous activity, or maybe he self-identified as a Democrat. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so Randall Smith is running. Uh, and then the other uh, the other candidate is a young woman named Taylor Neighbors. Uh, Miss Neighbors, she's 21. She's a student at OU studying piano performance. Um, she is running on a platform of really trying to take Oklahoma City to the next level in terms of technology. Um, I think a blockchain, which uh, is also part of cryptocurrency, if you're familiar with Bitcoin, Litecoin, uh, these things. Um, she, I think, is wanting to try and make that more a part of the economic life um, right. of the city and within city government. She's talking about using uh, robots to help combat things like the opioid, opioid epidemic. There's a nice piece in the OU Daily, um, an interview with, with her, talking about some of the things that she hopes to accomplish. I, uh, I have not met Miss Neighbors, and I admire her spirit. Um, I don't know... I mean, I think if I'm handicapping this race, I have to say that uh, Senator Holt is still the favorite. Right. I think I agree. I think he's still certainly the favorite and has the most name recognition um, out there among the three candidates. The article that I read, I believe it was from the Gazette. I think Laura Estes over at the Gazette. And she said that uh, or in the article said that um, that Randall Smith is not campaigning, but he wanted to put his name in there. Um, I don't I, I got a message or two. Um, from a colleague or a friend of Taylor Neighbors, kind of promoting her campaign. And yeah, hey, it takes some guts to be 21 and to run for mayor for a big city. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And like I said, you know, I mean, just kind of reading about what her platform is, I mean, it just, you know, in general, I certainly agree with the notion that I think Oklahoma City, we could be kind of setting our sights higher in terms of technology and making improvements to our city in terms of pedestrian access, you know, uh, public transportation, these sorts of things. Um, you know, I don't know if, um, you know, I don't know what her background is or kind of what experience she would bring to to the position that I think would let her accomplish some of these things. Right. From what the article in the Gazette, it really highlighted that she was trying to make Oklahoma City more attractive to millennials, those that live here and those that might be attracted to come here. Um, for work or business or just for raise a family. So that's a, a certainly a, a niche um, approach. So that's something, right? She's got a platform. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I believe Mr. Smith is a Southsider. And it made me wonder, I know Mayor Cornette's been in office for 14 years. I'm pretty certain he's a Northsider. Senator Holt is a Northsider. I'm a Northsider. You're a Northsider. Mayor Humphreys is a Northsider. Yeah, Northsider. I, so I've wondered if ever or how long it's been since we've had a Southsider mayor. I think Southside does not, I think we could all probably agree that Southside does not get the attention that it deserves or needs. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So interesting. So again, this election is... Um, February the 19th, I believe. Yes. No. No, no. the 13th. The 13th. Um, the However, day before Valentine's Day. Yes. Uh, the 19th was in my head because tomorrow is January 19th. And if you are not registered to vote mm. and you want to vote for Oklahoma City Mayor, tomorrow is the last day you can register and be eligible to vote in that election. Right. Or change your party if you wanted to do that. That is correct. You can register um, at the state election board, ok.gov. Just Google register to vote in Oklahoma. The link is there. You can print out the form, fill it out. It takes a couple of minutes. You will need a stamp that's pre-addressed and send it into the election board and you'll be able to vote on February 13th. I suppose you could hand deliver it, but that's an errand. It is. That seems unnecessary. Well, you know, here in Oklahoma, we got cheap gas. We love to drive around. That's true. It's a city built for cars. That's true. Which is, I think, an issue for these mayoral candidates. 
So let's transition and talk about the Step Up Coalition. Again, as a reminder, this is a group of citizens, largely business people of note. Larry Nichols from Devon Energy, Harold Hamm from Continental Energy, many others. Notably absent are members of like the Wind Coalition, although they said they've been speaking with Jeff Clark from the Wind Coalition. And again, like always, there's this debate between the oil and gas industry and the wind industry, and they're trying to both sides are trying to push off the bulk or the weight, the heavy yoke of tax burden on the other industry. Meanwhile, teachers are leaving. We don't have money. Things are falling apart here. Let's all get on this together. Yeah, you know, it, it, it never ceases to amaze me that, you know, we have one industry that talks repeatedly about um, how much, you know, higher taxes are going to decrease growth. And we really want to grow and sustain this energy and make in- industry and make it an integral part of the economy and taxes are just anathema to that. But you should absolutely raise taxes on this other industry. Right. right? The, like, the hard part too is that, um, <laughs> that for both of these things, there are so there, honestly, there are so many levels of taxes and different yeah. things that are taxed. So, uh, you know, something for, I assume this applies to oil and gas wells as well, but I know for like wind turbines, the big wind turbines you'll see out in Western Oklahoma, there's an ad valorem tax for the property, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they're discussing some kind of production tax for the production of energy. There's also like the materials themselves are taxed. Right. Um, there's a concern, or not a concern, but an argument from the oil and gas industry that many of these companies, these wind companies, are from out of state. Uh, sure. Some of them outside the U.S. Some of them sure. are French-owned or... There's a Spanish um, company that's taking a lot of company, hits this right. week. Which is... Uh, so I, I think that's a tricky issue, Are we, because if we say we we well they're they're bad because they're Spanish owned, does that mean we don't want foreign investment? Because we have a Secretary of State whose purpose is to help encourage foreign investment, right? Right. No, a hundred percent. And then the other thing is, like, look, I can get that you know oil and gas is obviously a major part of the energy sector. Um, wind is trying to kind of break into that market. I don't think that wind is at a level right now where they're really competing. Um, it's just a little – it's just – to me, saying that you shouldn't encourage development of a wind industry in Oklahoma, it's like saying you shouldn't encourage the development of an oil and gas industry in Oklahoma, right? Like, we're flat, right? There's – I mean, seriously, like, we're flat. There we're are Lots not, of wind. Yeah. We I got mean, lots of oil. We're one of the windiest states. I mean, the wind comes sweeping down the plains, right? We have tons of wind. We have tons of space. We don't have, you know, mountain ranges or other uh, obstacles in our landscape that make this difficult. I mean – does it not make sense to do both? I mean, that's like... I Or if there's just a way to make it equitable, because maybe, like, isn't... There's got to be some kind of algorithm, right, to run it so that maybe both industries pay a commensurate amount of tax. Sure. I think that one of the arguments that you would hear from proponents of wind is that, well, look, oil and gas has been here for 100 years. It's not like they're trying to... You're not trying to build an industry here. It's here. It thrives. You know, it's it's established. Right. Um, wind is trying to become more of an industry here, and so I think that they would argue that they would benefit more from things like tax incentives. Now, of course, you would hear from oil and gas; it's expensive to get oil and gas out of the ground, so they benefit from tax incentives there. I right. think you're right. I mean, I think I think I think it needs to be it needs to be equitable, but I think we need to be actively encouraging the sustainable development. Of both industries. I agree. And here's the other thing. So, well, a couple of ideas. 
the other thing being two things that I have to say. One is why, what if, and I haven't looked at all the numerous tax incentives that are out there. And that's part of the complicated problem, right? Is there's a bajillion incentives for both industries. I know many of the wind incentives have already been taken out. They were uh, repealed or removed last session. So what if there was no incentive for either punching a hole in the ground or putting a big tower on the ground and we only tax production? We might lose some money, but what if that tax rate was something so that if you produce however many per kilowatt or something, I don't, I guess you can't do that for oil though. So wind is producing right. straight electricity right. right away. Right. And oil and gas is producing oil, which then is sold right. to be a bajillion different things. Right. And gas. Also, why aren't some of these companies diversifying and doing both? I mean, that would make sense to me, right? If you're an energy company, you're an energy company. You know who one of the largest owners, uh, one of the largest owner, uh, one of the largest owners of wind farms in this part of the country is? Who? T. Boone Pickens. Oh, right. Yeah. Who's an oil, oil and gas guy? Yeah. I mean, he's got a few plans out there. You know, like he kind of knows something about energy. Yeah. Um, so I, but I think that also one of the energy companies, I think it used to be Devon and maybe now it's Continental or vice versa, is a huge customer of some of the wind companies or right. vice versa. Like they, right. they use each other's services is what yeah. I'm saying. And, and I think that there are some energy companies that are trying to, you know, some oil and gas companies that are trying to be energy companies and break into the wind market. I just don't understand why more of them don't do it. Of note yesterday, the Oklahoma Education Association, OEA, which is the, the trade group or the union for teachers, uh, came out in support of the step-up plan. Yeah, I found that really interesting. Um, so step-up plan calls for a $5,000 teacher pay raise, which, of course, OEA would be in favor of. Um, but they also call for an increase in the gross production tax from 2% to 4%. Um, that's the step-up plan. That's the step-up plan, right? Right. So there's, uh, there, tr- there is a group, the Restore Oklahoma. They are trying to put an initiative on the ballot in the general election in 2018 in November that would increase the gross production tax from 2% to 7%. So an increase instead of from 2 to 4, from 2 to 7. The proceeds of that tax increase would go entirely to education. So it's interesting to me that the OEA is jumping on board with a plan that, yes, calls for a $5,000 teacher pay raise, but would, I think, potentially at least, ultimately result in less money dedicated money for education right. than the Restore Oklahoma plan that is trying to get on the ballot in November. Just to be clear, the Restore Oklahoma plan is the Democrats' budget proposal. Restore Oklahoma Now Incorporated is the small oil and gas producers, the OEPA, as opposed to the OIPA, who are members of the Step Up plan. Right, right. So, yeah, so sorry for the, yeah, sorry for the, the confusion there. Restore Oklahoma Now... Inc. is the political action political action committee of the Oklahoma Energy Producers Alliance, and they are funding a uh, initiative initiative petition uh, to get a ballot measure in November that would raise gross production taxes from two percent to seven percent. I guess it, I was going to say these groups should get a thesaurus and come up with some better names, right? But I think a core tenant of both plans is they're trying to restore. 
the gross production tax up to 7%. Right, which, which is, is traditionally where it's been, yeah. Sure. The, so the, the reason this is interesting to me, this is the last point I'm going to make about this, is OEA commissioned a poll, and they released this poll last week, um, and, and it, it talks about a lot of things. It's a poll of likely voters. Um, you can find it on uh, the website. Um, but it's it's interesting because 70% of likely voters say that they would vote to pass a ballot initiative that would raise the gross production tax from 2% to 7%. So, Andy, if you've got polling data that says 70% of voters would vote to increase from 2 to 7 why do you jump on board with a measure that increases from 2 to 4 that's a great question. I, if I'm OEA, that's because I just I'm my job is is OEA. If I was with OEA, the job is to try to get a pay raise, right? I mean, this is the same reason that Stand for Children, a nationwide education advocacy group, is pulling out of Oklahoma after five years and millions of dollars is because they've put a bunch of money into this effort to give teachers a pay raise and it hasn't gone anywhere, right? Yeah. The issue in both of these plans is that we have to raise taxes. And either the legislature needs to do it, which is the step up suggestion, is the legislature, hey, you guys do this, or it's a vote of the people. Right. And the the hard part, I think, for this plan is that they're still at 71 votes. They need 76 votes. And what happened in this past special session and the regular session is that a bunch of Republicans put up yes votes for tax increases and it didn't pass, which means they are recorded as voting for a tax increase and they got nothing to show for it. Right. And it, and it doesn't help that their standard bearer in, well, I shouldn't say he's the standard bearer. He hadn't won the primary yet. But uh, Lieutenant Governor Lamb, who is, I think, probably still considered the front runner. Um, no. For- I'm going to interrupt you. Did you see the Sooner poll this week? Mick Cornett was is he the leading? leading Republican. Yeah. Interesting. Lamb was second. Um, and then on the Democrat side, uh, as we expected, um, Drew Edmondson was leading Connie Johnson. But none of them, on like the undecideds on both sides, were pretty high. So. Sure. Sorry sure. to interrupt. No, yes. no, no. That's, that's Todd good, Lamb. He came um, out last night and said, shockingly, uh, I'm against taxes. Right. Always and forever. Right. And there's a, a, there's a decent contingent of Oklahomans that are always opposed to taxes. Hey, nothing. Something to be said for sticking to your guns. Which is, you know, going to be, I think, the hiccup for Step Up Oklahoma, right? I mean, you, and I think it is, I should make the point that the Restore Oklahoma Now plan all the money that that would raise would come from an increase in the gross production tax from 2 to 7. The uh, Step Up Oklahoma plan would raise a, almost $800 million, like about $800 million, give or take, through seven different new taxes. Um, the tobacco tax, which we've talked about ad nauseum, a gross production tax on uh, oil and natural gas, increasing it from 2 to, to 4%, uh, a, motor, a motor fuel tax, a tax on wind power generation, um, by repealing some refundable income tax credits that are in place right now, new taxes on the gaming industry, and then uh, increasing personal income taxes. Mm-hmm. You know, I honestly, looking at that list, I don't even know if the gross production tax increase going from two to four there would be the hardest vote for some of the Republicans. The income taxes. It's the income taxes. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how you get 75 votes in the legislature to increase income taxes. And that's why when they proposed this plan, they said it's a package deal. You got to do it all. If you pull out any one piece, the rest of it falls apart because they don't want to put up money if there's not some other way. Right. And it, But the interesting point about that is saying that it's a package deal. Constitutionally in Oklahoma, right. you can't do package right. deals, right? Like this, if they're going to try to do this, that's 
because that's the other thing. I think it'd be much more politically palatable if you could write a bill that did all of this at once. Right. That's right? why at the federal level you can do that. You can right. you can add in this uh, fat. What's it called? Pork. Right. <laughs> you know, like ear, the so-called earmarks. Right. right. Um, but but you can't do that here. Right. So if you're if you're a Republican who kind of philosophically is against taxes anyway, and you're from a very conservative district where your constituents don't want to see taxes increase. In order to make this work, you're going to have to vote not once, not twice, but seven times mm-hmm. to increase taxes. Right. And that assumes that each one of these measures passed on the first vote, which is right. not at all a, a a guarantee. Right. Or they try to do some kind of uh, um, omnibus budget bill at the end. and You can have multiple issues in a budget bill, but I don't think if it's a revenue raising bill, no. I don't think they can do it. And they still have to get 76 votes if it raises revenue. Yeah. I mean, the more, you know, last week we kind of looked at this just a little bit, but the more that we're sitting here looking at it, talking through, I don't, I, I mean, is this, is this dead on arrival? I have heard from an authority that it's dead on arrival. So today uh, also OU President David Boren threw his weight behind it, who is an influential guy, particularly because, among Democrats. Because that's going to get more Republican votes. Right. So that's interesting. I mean, I mean, this, because this has been, uh, led by the oil and gas industry, it is perceived as being a conservative or right-leaning plan. And so for someone on the other side to come out, that helps balance it. But the Democrats, I don't think, are the real problem. The problem, they are a problem, but the real problem are the staunch conservatives, the, the Republican platform caucus in the Oklahoma House who will not vote for a tax increase. Really under any circumstances. Right. You could tax sin itself, and I think they would still oppose it. Mm-hmm. You know, and and right now we've had, obviously, a few special elections. What's the current breakdown right now, membership in the House? Man, I've lost count, to be honest. Right? I want. I mean, because it was, it was 20... What's 26? Uh, maybe. Wasn't it? I thought it was 26. <sighs> so many special elections. I would, I would, I'm really honestly waiting for next week um, to kind of end and as we go into the state of the state yeah, talk to about get that. a new roster and to really sure, fair enough. remember that stuff. So we'll just cut that right out. Okay. Yeah. Um, the other question I think that has arisen is that since OEA came out in favor of this, what about the other large trade group? And that is OPEA, the Oklahoma Public Employees Association, which is the trade group or union for the public employees. So that includes DHS, health department, DMH, department of corrections, and all the other state employees that are out there, thousands of state employees, many of whom haven't had a raise in eight or 10 years. Uh, and th- this plan does not include them. It doesn't include a pay raise for them. It's just for teachers. Yeah. And to be clear, teachers need a pay raise. Public employees need to take pay raise. There's a lot of folks that haven't had a pay raise at all. And so they, initially were opposed to the step-up plan. I'm curious to see, now that OEA is out there, if they start to come around. I think my hunch is they will continue to push to say, we support this, we support our teacher friends getting pay raises, but we think we should be included as well. Like, where's our donuts? Yeah, that's interesting. The other thing that's the, the it's interesting you bring that up because, you know, the, the thing that's, um, I think one of the things about the the Restore Oklahoma Now plan, the Oklahoma Energy Producer Alliance plan that I don't love, and we've talked about this some, is that it basically starts now and earmarks all of these funds, right? So from now into the future, all the production, all the monies that are generated from gross production tax in Oklahoma have to go 
to education and they can't be used for administrative salaries. Like it's pretty limited in what you can do with this money. Right. They expanded the definition of who is a teacher, but I, I think what you're getting at, and I think I said this last week is that if this is a good idea when oil is at a high price, like this week we hit a three year high of $64 a barrel. Great. What happens if oil drops to $32 a barrel? Like, sure. Have we, again, have we not learned sure. year after year that this is a cyclical industry and that we will live by it, we will die by it. Let's not tie teacher raises, teacher income to an industry we know is going to tank right. at some point in the future. Well, that's part of it. That's I mean, that's one of the issues for sure. But I think the other issue is that if you're a public employee who's not a teacher by their definition, raising the gross, but all of a sudden raising the gross production tax from two to seven does you no good whatsoever. Right. You might, you might oppose it just on the principle of like, I don't want them to get it if I don't get it. Right. Whereas, you know, there's 800 million here raised from the step up plan. And the only thing that is, that's earmarked from their standpoint in terms of how that money has to be spent is a $5,000 teacher pay raise, Mm -hmm. which is a lot of money across the state, but it doesn't come up with 800 million. So the step up Oklahoma plan would at least in theory, you know, leave the legislature some room to spend money on other things, including like, you know, a public employee raise. Right. For instance, that the, that the restore Oklahoma now plan would not give them the freedom to do. Right. So you've, you've mentioned the $800 million figure a few times. Uh, from what I heard yesterday from a few sources, the difference between going from two to four and going from two to seven, that extra 3% is $800 million, which is roughly the state budget deficit, right? Yeah. So the with the oil and gas industry, the big producers are refusing to do is the difference between us getting out of this hole and us staying in it, yeah. at least for the next year. Yeah, yeah. So I expect those numbers may come out with some citations and some better sourcing sure. um, here in the next week or so. Sure. So if we do, we'll certainly share that. Um, all right, so let's maybe let's turn our attention from the step up plan to voting voter registration numbers so that we care about. So Oklahoma is a low turnout state, right? That yeah, that is correct. We uh I mean it's it's what like 48%ish something like that in the last presidential election. Man, that sounds high, but oh, we don't have so we don't have 16 numbers yet, sorry. The most recent presidential election I've data for is 12. Right. So that was a lot higher. So I'm looking at uh, some data here. David Glover, a local guy who cares a lot about politics. and Badvoter.org. <laughs> yes, quick, it always always quick plugs plug. bad, quick bad plug. voter. You're it welcome. is a handy website. You're welcome, David. <laughs> it um, He's got a spreadsheet. and I'm going to try to get it and post it on our website as well. Um, but he basically tracks voter registration year over year. The 2017 numbers just came out. And uh, so here's where we're at. Right now, uh, as of 2018, there are 769,000 Democrats, 942,000 Republicans, and about 300,000 Independents. So uh, that's wait a second. It seems like that Democratic number got smaller by a lot. It did. Uh, so over the last six years, from 2012 through 2017, or up to 2018, this is like January 2012 to January 2018. Democrats lost 173,000 registrations. Has anyone told Anna that? Uh, I'm sure she's <laughs> quite aware. Someone should tell her if they mm-hmm. have if mm-hmm. she doesn't know yet. 
Um, Republicans uh, gained 114,000. So they didn't all like switch over. Sure. So they gained 114,000. And independents gained uh, about 70,000. So the other interesting note is that over six years, um, that's only a gain of 10,000 people. Uh, and honestly, over the last year, so from 2017 to 2018, statewide, uh, we lost 150,000 voters. So a lot of people ask questions about like, well, don't... Where did they all go? Andy? Where did they go? Were they dead? Were these fake voters? Were these... Were they bust in from other states? <laughs> That's voter fraud. Voter fraud. Voter no. fraud. So uh, fortunately, Brian Dean, who's with the state election board, he's the public information officer, super great guy. Um, he chimed in on David Glover's Facebook feed about this. And he's... A lot of great information. The post is public if you want to go look at it. But it's uh, he says that uh, all states are required by federal law to have some kind of program to review voter rolls uh, and to look for people who have died or moved and to try to compare with other states. So if you move from here to Tennessee, that your thing gets switched over there and you don't get counted here and all that. And again, these are just people that are registered to vote, not those who actually voted, which is much lower. Sure. Much, sure. much much lower. Sure. So um, they do Oklahoma. It takes eight years to get removed from the rolls. So it's not really a purging. Um, they do it in odd numbered years. So not in election years. And if you haven't voted in four years at all, then you get a letter seeking you to confirm. You can confirm by mail or you can go online and confirm online. If you don't confirm for four years, then you finally get dropped from the rolls. So that's eight years total. That seems reasonable. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I think that you have to do something to try and keep these, you know, up to date as much as possible for a whole a whole bunch of reasons. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, if, you, if someone hasn't voted in eight years, one, shame on them. And two, that's, I think, reasonable to let them fall off. Right. And not even not voted. They didn't confirm. You could not vote and still confirm sure. unregistered. Sure. If you have questions, if you're confirmed or not, you can go to the state election board. Just Google Oklahoma State Election Board. There's a there's a voter confirmation tool. Uh, that's really handy. So do that. Also interesting, as folks are curious with this, what the affiliation change by party uh, looks like. So over the last year, from January 15th of 2017 to January 15th of 2018, there were 1,500 Democrats who became Republicans, and there were... 3,900 Republicans who became Democrats. Whoa, that's skewed. <laughs> um, so almost, geez, almost uh, more than two to one um, of Republicans that are switching to the Democrats. I would imagine that has got to be in response to the last presidential election. I think a lot of Republicans were upset with how that went down and they switched over. Yeah, and I think there's a lot that even if they were okay with the result of the election, they have not been okay with you know, a lot of things coming out of Washington for the last 12 months. Right. There were um, about a thousand Democrats who switched to independent, about 1300 Republicans who switched to independent, but there were way more on both parties, independents who, who aligned with one party or the other, about 1500 um, independents became Democrats and another 1500 became Republicans. That's interesting. That, I, yeah, I would have expected the opposite. Right. I wonder if that also was because this is the whole last year mm. if it had to do with so they could vote in primaries. primaries yeah. Because in Oklahoma, independents can vote in Democratic primaries. Um, 
Democrats obviously can vote in Democratic primaries, but only registered Republicans can vote in Republican primaries. Right. Do you know the third party that's recognized in Oklahoma? There's only three recognized. Independent is non-party. I do not. Libertarians. Well, I should have known that. They are smaller in all categories, but still there. So pretty interesting. On new registrations by party for this last one year, uh, about 18,000 new Democrats, 29,000 new Republicans, 23,000 new independents. These are new registrations. Interesting. So there's more new independents than there were new Democrats, which is, I think that's just fascinating. Yeah. You know, and we, I think we see that out on the streets that there's a lot of people who, uh, really are just frustrated with the two party system and they kind of want to opt out and they switch to independent and then they get pissed that they can't vote in right. Republican primaries. Right. Well, and the growth of independence as kind of a political voice has been a trend nationally. Um, but it's interesting. We, we always hear that. Like we hear that it's a trend nationally. And I mean, we've heard for at least, I mean, certainly in 2016 and we heard some in 2012 too, that, okay, well, this is going to be the year for a third party candidate. This is going to be the year for a third party candidate. Um, it's it's just interesting to me because I think we hear this as a trend, like the growth of independence as a, as a political voice, but it doesn't seem to be happening electorally. Right. Right. Like there's not like a big block of independence in the House of Representatives, right, at the state level or the federal level. There's one independent seminar, independent. No, there's two in independent the Senate? in the Senate. That, yeah. Uh, there's one from uh, Angus King from Maine mm-hmm. is an independent. And then Bernie Sanders, mm-hmm. right, is an independent, right. who both of whom caucus with uh, Democrats. Democrats, right. Um, I, I would like to see an independent who caucuses with Republicans, just just to see it, because I don't know I've ever heard of that. I'm sure they exist. You So I've, you know, I this is not my own uh, research or analysis, but I have seen some research and analysis that suggests in the next Congress, you might. Interesting. Uh, Susan Collins of Maine oh, and sure. or Lisa Murkowski of Alaska. This, it's so funny because I think, I mean, those are two like the far corners of the U.S., right? Like, yeah. I want to see it here. I want like a Kansan or an Oklahoman to be like an independent, just to be like, you know what? You guys have gone a bridge too far on both sides. I'm going to hang in the middle. I'm going to lean a little bit your direction. I'll come with you and just see how it goes. Yeah, I, I think like that'd be fascinating, con- but... Or I don't know how likely that is. Maybe an independent caucus altogether. Wouldn't that be nice? A, th- a third group, a different way to think about things that isn't one extreme or the other. Sure. Uh, so today is uh, Thursday the 18th. Today is the deadline to file bills for the Oklahoma legislature for the, the regular session here in 2018. So by next week, we should have a good grasp on what kind of interesting stuff has been filed Going into today, only about 200 bills have been filed. That will change. Typically, in a usual session, there's about 1,000 to 2,000 bills that are filed. There's still 2,000 bills that have been held over from last session that are eligible to be acted upon this session. Fun times. So some of And these... when I say last session, I don't mean the current extraordinary session. <laughs> I don't mean the preceding extraordinary session. I mean regular session last spring. Right. So... This will be fun. So uh, so next week, um, that'll probably be our focus as we will look at the plethora of bills that are filed. We'll highlight the good ones and the bad ones because, man, there's always some interesting 
entertaining, intriguing, compelling, terrifying stuff that's filed. I think that you, yes, that is accurate. Uh, I will, on just as a teaser, because it relates to the topic of voter registration, Representative Mickey Dollins from Oklahoma City uh, filed a bill this session about automatic voter registration. And, and a lot of people have asked why we don't have this. Um, and it's basically a bill that will automatically register residents to vote who are eligible um, at the time that they apply for, renew, or replace a driver's license, a state ID card, or any kind of permit. Uh, additionally, it automatically pre-registers those under the age of 18 who are getting their driver's license. So if you were 16, you get your license, it kind of pre-registers you. So when you right. turn 18, it rolls over. It basically, it turns us into, it turns us into an opt-out system instead of an opt-in system. Which makes a lot of sense. I, I totally agree. You don't get to, you don't get to opt in to the selective service. Right. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. Scott, thanks for joining me. Hey man, always a pleasure. Remember, you can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are at Let's Fix This Okay. If you'd like to find Scott on Twitter, he's at SC Melson. I am at Andy OKC. And our website is letsfixthisok.org. And on there, you can sign up for our newsletter, read our blog, find resources, uh, and handouts you can use when you visit the Capitol, and details about upcoming events. Our podcast is edited and produced by Scott and me. And Let's Fix This is a member of the Mostly Harmless Media Network. Our theme music is generously provided by local heroes, the Sugar Free All Stars. Let's Fix This is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization who strives to educate and equip all Oklahomans to engage with their government. We encourage you to get involved in any way that you can. And remember, decisions are made by those who